Welcome to Paychecks Thrive, a business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey, everybody, it's Gene Marks. Thanks again for joining me once again here at the Paychecks Thrive podcast. I'm really glad that you're here. I am here with Brian Sazi. Brian is the executive editor at Yahoo Finance. Uh, followed him on Twitter for a while. I'm a big fan. So, uh, Brian, first of all, uh, thanks for joining. Big fan of yours, uh, Gene, and good to see you off of Twitter and good to see you exist in human form. So yeah, that's great. That's we are in real life here. So that is, uh, and it just makes the conversation that much better. Are, are you in New York? Is that where you're based? I'm in New York. Uh, I am Long Island, uh, Long Island grown, so to speak. I've been uh, taking that Iron Horse train from Long Island to Wall Street pretty much uh, my entire life. Probably actually entire entire career life, about 25 years. Sorry to hear that, but okay, you're still around to talk about it. And yeah, I was thinking, you know, next time we do this, uh, you know, we will, uh, it'd be nice to see you face to face. I'm in Philly, so not too far away. Um, no, I won't fall for that. I won't fall for that. Some, some good sports teams on the list. So first of all, um, Congratulations on your new promotion. You are now executive editor at Yahoo Finance. Um, tell me a little bit about your path to get there. Uh, well, yeah, it's uh, same guy, new new position. new position. So that's that's first and foremost. You can never let these positions, I think, get to your head or uh, really try to just halt on on things that you're you're trying to achieve uh, over the course of your life. But unless I started my career as a stock analyst uh, at Wall Street Strategies, an independent uh, boutique boutique. Uh, research firm covering 60 retailers. Like it's insane. You go to a normal Wall Street bank and, and the analyst covers about 10 companies. They do their thing. They play around their Excel models. And here I am fresh out of college, uh, 21 years old, no name college, thrown with 60 companies, uh, which is just absolute insanity Crazy. now that I go back and, and look at it. But, you know, for me, it was a great place to start and ultimately get into business journalism, which we'll, we'll get into. But again, Having that knowledge on financial statements, having that access to management teams and building some amazing relationships sure. at the age of 21 and 22 set me up for being able to have conversations with you. Were you like an accounting major in college or a finance major? I was a – so my goal, I, I graduated college in 2004 okay. and, and all the rage back then was becoming a stockbroker. So the stockbroker was doing okay. hot – and the general vibe, at least in my business classes, were become a stockbroker, stockbroker, make a ton of money, and retire by the time you're 30. Gee, sounded great. Uh, of course, I took my accounting classes, but I majored in uh, finance and business. And then uh, just by chance, I ended up as a research uh, associate to start. And then six months in, I, I became a senior analyst, uh, a lot of late nights. So how did you make it into media? Interesting. Uh, so... <laughs> As, when you become a stock analyst, you know a lot of your research is published in various platforms. Right. Uh, it can move. It can move a stock price based on what you say. And after a while, my reports were were edgy. Uh, I always tried to make them forward looking, do things differently, not just regurgitate uh, garbage that was being recycled in other places, and trying to change the game and, and think contrarian. A lot of my calls got picked up in various media outlets, and then it just snowballed from there. And then before I knew it, I was twenty six, appearing on various. Uh, business news television uh, networks. And then, I don't know, 15 later, 15 years later, uh, here I am. People like to hear people with opinions, you know? I, I mean, it's as, as long as, you know, there, there's some justification or facts behind them, obviously, but... Well, I always, I always thought, Gene, you know, the stock price of any company tells a story. Yeah. Um, a good story, 
a bad story. And my job at the analyst, as an analyst, at least how I viewed it, of course, it's the client component, but it was to unpack that story and try to find the truth for clients, whether it was good or bad. And how can I was, how was I able to pour that into a 20 page research report? How was I able to get these notes out faster than any of my competitors? You know, it, it becomes a game. It became a game after a while, a, a fun game and, and a helpful game. So what does the executive editor at Yahoo Finance do? Well, they come in every morning and, and they drink a lot of coffee, Gene. And then <laughs> once they're done with that coffee, they, I don't know, at least me, I drink 10 more cups of coffee and then plan out my coffee drinking the next day. Okay, so you no, drink a lot of coffee. Really, yeah, it's a lot of coffee and uh, a couple energy drinks flown in. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, I view my, my job, my new position here is uh, having the ability to work with an amazing group of, of journalists. You know, we have an amazing group of people here that are writing awesome stuff on banks, sure. uh, writing awesome stuff on EVs and the future of automobiles, writing awesome stuff on, on markets. And then, oh yeah, while we're doing that, and as I'm working alongside them, helping to you know, shape our daily coverage or, or planning out our big conferences or planning out big ideas or sharing my, my source network, we have this live streaming network, Yahoo Finance Live, that is live every day uh, starting at 9 a.m. It's where the biggest... CEOs and, and politicians come every single day to talk about what they're working on in business and finance, what they're working on in markets. Uh, I just got out of a conversation. I'm going to name drop because I'm just in the zone right now sure. with Dave Rubenstein, the, the co-chairman and co-founder of the Carlisle Group. Yeah. Uh, he just set up on the other side of her office and we spent 20 minutes talking about everything that he's working on. Yeah. So I think, you know, over the past four and a half years, of course, Yahoo Finance is, I believe, over 20 years old. You know, we came here, I came here about four and a half years ago to help launch the streaming TV network. Uh, and now it is just flew. It's just skyrocketed since then. And we are now the home and the key destination for a lot of these influencers uh, on all things business and finance. You know, Yahoo Finance is, uh, it is legit. I, you know, there, there was a time, obviously, when the streaming world was just starting up where you really didn't know who was going to emerge uh, you know, and obviously we still have the networks, the CNBCs, you know, th that are out there, the Fox businesses that do cover the world and the business. But you know, it is it is legit online streaming, and I I go on it all the time. You do have a list guest, and I guess it's um, if you can share with us, you know, what you know about like the, the size of your audience, you know, like like how big is Yahoo Finance? How does it compare to some of the the TV stations that that, that are that that we're normally familiar with? Well, this is uh. It sucks. I always like to share a lot of this stuff, but I can't share a lot of the numbers that Understood. we do get. I, uh, this I could share. Yahoo Finance is the largest business news platform on the internet by a factor of almost three times. That's okay. not even close. People are coming on to us every single day, as you know, as a user of this platform, to check their stock prices, to watch Yahoo Finance Live, to view, uh, check out various stats on the ticker pages, to collect the news. We are that go-to destination for all things business and finance. And at the core... You know, our mission is this under our new leader, Top and Bot. It is to grow the wealth of investors. So I wake up every single day and it's a mission that I've been, you know, focused on for the past 20 plus years of my career. How can I help the person on the other side of the screen make money, not lose money, or at the bare minimum, help them understand all this crazy information that's coming at them in real time. You have people pitching stocks on social media. You have people pitching stocks uh, on, on TV. And then while all this has happened, you see a Fed member pop up and talk about stocks in the markets, not stocks, but sure. markets and their outlook for, for interest rates. It's a lot coming at people uh, and, and they just need help understanding it all. And then outside of that core mission, you know, we've, we're viewed as a, a neutral platform. By that, mm -hmm. I mean, 
People come to us, they trust us, they know they're getting a real in-depth, researched conversation, not a five-minute interview talking about what they see in the newspaper. Yeah, it, it like I said, it, it's very legit, nonpartisan, straightforward business, you know, source of content, and and it's really developed that way, and it's developed really well. You know, and just before we move on to some of the other topics, I wanted to just get your thoughts on. I mean, again, on Yahoo Finance, you know, you said it's it it's mostly for investors, and yet I I kind of kind of debate you on that. Like, I don't think it's just like I am. I'm not a personal investor. Like, I have my savings in mutual funds, you know, and you know, wealth managers or whatever. Like. I am a business owner and I and I cover business for, you know, the Guardian and the Hill and and a bunch of other places. So I go to Yahoo Finance to just get a general take on where certain industries are going, where some of the big players are going, where the markets are going. Um so I, I just wanted to clarify that with you. It's you don't necessarily have to be an individual investor to take advantage uh, of the content. I love it. I, I I think that's tremendous and that is an awesome observation observation. And you know, if our mission and our mission is in fact growing the wealth of investors. But if you want to take it a step further, it's growing the wealth of anybody that is coming to our platform. If you right. are in fact a small business owner, what could we do? What can we stand up across our live streaming network? Uh, what can we stand up in our original text reporting that helps you understand what is going on in the markets, whether it's rate increases, inflation, or hiring? These are all, all core topics to Yahoo Finance that we try to cover every single day and cover in a way that you're not going to find uh, in a lot of our competitors. So you're exactly right. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. So, okay, so to that, I want to get your thoughts on some different topics I'm going to throw out. And and I also want to caveat that for all of you guys watching or listening, uh, you know, I, Brian is not, you know, you're, you're, you're not teaching a course in economics at Yale. No one is saying that, you know, you're, uh, you know, some big time economic investor or advisor or whatever, but you're smart and you cover the economy and you cover what's going on with companies that are dealing with the economy. So be, as a reporter, as a journalist, I know that you've got some thoughts on different things that are impacting all of us as business owners. So let's jump into it. Um, for starters, let's talk about banks. Okay. Um, a few weeks ago, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, you know, collapsed. There have been a few other banks along the line. Uh, a lot of my clients, you know, Brian, come to me and are like, oh, should I be concerned? Should I be moving all of my money to Citibank or Wells Fargo? You know, is, is, you know, is there a problem? I've been saying that um, there's 4,300 banks in this country. We're going to see a few more failures. It's probably, you know, that, that's, that would not surprise me. But I'm not panicking. I'm not moving my money out of, you know, the, the community bank that I have our, our money with. But I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are today. And we're here kind of mid-April timeframe on the banking system in the U.S. What do you say? Yeah, one of the first things I did when the crisis um, really started, I won't even say crisis anymore. It's now turmoil. It's been- <laughs> Turmoil is a better word. Yeah, turmoil. It's just turmoil. <laughs> one of the first things I did was put a statement out on LinkedIn that it was not a time to yell fire in a crowded theater. Right. Now, as someone who covered the, the Great uh, Recession and remembers a Lehman Brothers going down 60, 70% in real time and Countrywide going away literally overnight, it, it didn't feel like that similar situation. It didn't feel like an right. overleveraged housing market and backed up with various derivatives and all this other garbage that piled onto the financial system in 2008. Now, that's not to say that this wasn't a scary situation in March. How many people have ever seen a bank fail? How many people have ever seen people lined up outside of a bank like they did at Silicon Valley Bank trying to get their money? It was a very disturbing situation. Now, a lot of people that I talk to, they do see some more bank failures, uh, mostly the regional bank failures. But like I told my mom, 
Your money is safe. Uh, and I think that is a key, it's a key takeaway here. Now, your deposits might be safe, but what, I'm not so sure about your stocks. I'm not picking stocks here, but I will sure. say this. When the Fed has come out, and they, like they have, and aggressively raised interest rates over the past year and a half, they just come off another uh, interest rate increase. When they do something like that, it unwinds a lot of the behavior, a lot of the trades, a lot of the stuff that investors have been put into the ground over the past year and a half on the premise, uh, or before then, I should say, on the premise that rates are low. They're not low anymore. Right. They're going up and they are likely to continue to go up because of inflation. And when you do that, it just changes the whole investing dynamic and it changes the business climate. It change, just changes how we live. I would argue a lot of your uh, clients or people that you know, Gene, maybe they want to buy a car at some point this year. Right. Now it's prohibitively more expensive to go out and buy that car if you want to finance six, seven percent at the minimum. You know, that fundamentally changes how you live your life. And I, I think that's a big thing that is getting lost in all this discussion. I, uh, it's, it's such a great point. I can tell you what I'm seeing, Brian. I mean, we have, uh, my firm has about 600 clients, um, mostly small and mid-sized businesses. And then a lot of people that, you know, read my stuff, you know, email me, uh, you know, interest rates right now, like you had just said, it was, I think the fed funds rate was like at 0.25% a year ago. And now it's like at 5% one year later, which is just this dramatic increase. Uh, many of my clients, I mean, the, the, they're seeing the prime rate at their banks are, is now as high as 8% which means that if you're an existing business, even with good credit history, to refinance your loans, to go back for more working capital, to get that equipment loan, you know, depending on your, your history, you could be paying 9, 10, even 11%. You know, that's a lot. That, that is a lot more than what people were spending you know, a year ago. Um, and I'm already seeing that have an impact on some of my clients, and I'm expecting to see even more of that throughout the rest of this year, even into 2024. Is that are you seeing something similar? And do you have, um, my concern is, is that it just holds them back from investing and hiring because it's just the cost of capital has increased so much. If I was, if I had my on what you don't see on the other side of this camera, I have a whiteboard. If I was able to draw this out in real time with my magic eraser hmm. uh, markers, I'd be drawing this out because you're absolutely right. We are seeing impact now. A couple areas. One. You know, the Fed has came out here and aggressively interest rates. We've seen tech stocks really hammered. Yeah. And we've seen companies, uh, Google, Microsoft, layoff people en masse. Well, those are people now no longer with jobs. And if they're not, if they do not have jobs, that is less money flowing into the economy. Maybe that, how does that trickle down into small businesses? So that's just a one general observation. Number two, we see in the actual labor market, you know, we're coming off a, a labor report that was uh, slower than the prior average, uh, prior four month average by uh, 40, 50,000 jobs. That, that's huge. And a lot of the executives that I talk to, I don't get the sense that they're getting ready to go out there and go on, on a hiring spree this spring or summer. I get the sense that they're still out there also looking to raise prices pretty aggressively in some cases. 10, over 10%, depending on what the product or the service is. So this is an economy that, yeah, we've seen inflation moderate, but it's still elevated. We've seen hiring continue, but not the pace that it's had been for the past year. And if you want to go draw it all back, you can really trace it back to what the Federal Reserve, I, I would argue, has been doing. And then at the same time, the ongoing lingering impacts of the pandemic. Pandemic isn't over, uh, in my view. It is out there, and it continues to impact how companies hire, plan their businesses, and ultimately drive productivity in the workplace, just given where workers are located in many cases. Yeah, it's a great response, you know, you know about the pandemic and about, you know, what the Fed is doing. So, um, so I speak a lot to industry groups around the country, and um, I like to go, you know, you know the, the uh, St. Louis 
Fed Reserve Fred, you know, site where you get all the data. So I like Sorry. to prepare some data. It's, it's amazing. It's just this amazing platform. And um, so I, I like to look at like core prices of like what my clients are paying. For example, like um, the PPI right now is is around 5%, the producer price index. And it's it's been trending down, which is really good news, of course. But when I compare prices of like construction materials, uh, you know, piping, uh, you know, manufacturing costs, overall costs for things like gypsum, cement, you know, all these like core products that my clients use all the time. They're like anywhere from 10 to 40%. I mean, utilities costs are like 30 to 40% or they were two years ago. So I'm seeing a lot of, to your point, I'm seeing a lot of my clients and then a lot of people that I speak to, they're, they're relieved that inflation is tapering or plateauing at least, although it's still at a higher level than they, most people would like. But they're still trying to adjust to just this overall higher cost structure. Well, they're and they and they are adjusting. And and I'll, I'll give you some more examples. Sure. You see now promotions at retailers starting to pick up. Whether it's a T-shirt, True. A pair of jeans, or sneakers, you're seeing these promotions pick up because inventory levels are too high. Consumers have said, "I'm not buying this stuff at these inflated prices. I'm going to force you to reduce these prices." Yeah. So, something more affordable. I see it with big ticket goods, whether it's appliances or even vacations now. The prices for this stuff have gotten so high uh, that consumers are pushing back. And I'm not seeing a lot of companies come out here and say, you know what? I'm going to cut prices. I'm going to cut prices. If I raise prices 40% over the past years, two years, I'm going to cut them by 40%. Hell no, they're not <laughs> doing not that. Really and I think consumers are finally realizing uh, that they're not going to buy these products at these prices, one, because they're just not going to, or two, they just don't see the utility of adding more things to their lives. Right. You just mentioned retail. So, you know, up up until through the last quarterly results, all the major retailers are saying like, hey, you know, things have been not bad. I mean, you know, Christmas holiday season wasn't as great as they would like it to be, but still, you know, so far not so bad. Um, and yet, you know, they're warning us, they're warning us, they're warning us that, you know, things are going to taper off during this year. They're seeing a potential slowdown. Um you know, consumers themselves, I mean, household wealth has declined a bit, but it's still at historical highs. Um, I was seeing how like credit card delinquencies are starting to rise, but still not at the level of debt that's out there yet that we saw back in, you know, 2008, 2009. In other words, like, um, do you think like people were going to keep spent like, you know, will the consumer carry our economy through a potential soft landing or even a, a light? You know, do, do you have... Any kind of optimism, <laughs> we might be looking at a at a you know a light recession or even better than that in 2023. Or are you more pessimistic? I used to I used to believe that this old adage that was fed to me out of school, not to bet against the U.S. consumer. I heard that every yeah. single day from 2004 yeah. to 2007. And now 2004 to 2000, yeah, to about 2007, and then it all blew up during the financial crisis. Yeah. Consumers <laughs> just smarter. Uh, they have more tools at their disposal to look for the lowest possible price. I see consumers in the credit card data that I get from the various banks. They are pulling back. They are spending more cautiously to kick off the spring. Uh, and this view that they're going to be able to spend willy-nilly uh, spring, summer, and the peak back-to-school shopping season, I think is just a falsehood. But I don't don't get the sense they're ready to go into a cave. Right. You know, there's some, I think some happy medium, I, I think for middle income to higher income consumers, they will go out there and spend just not to the extent that I think a lot of people think. And then, you know, the real problem here is his lower income shoppers. It's those dollar store uh, shoppers that just had a lot of their uh, food stamp benefits rolled back at a time where inflation for everyday essentials remained high. 
that consumer is under major, major stress. And to think that that stress has gone away over the past six months is completely not correct. Fair enough. Uh, we can't have a, a conversation about consumers without talking a little bit about housing. Um, you know, what I'm seeing in housing and construction is, you know, you know, the home, home real estate is having challenges. But you know, when people ask me how the real estate market is, and I don't know if you see the same thing, because I, again, I travel around and I speak to different real estate groups around the country. It's almost like it's like it depends. You know, I mean, you know, people might like my, my son is moving down to Charleston, South Carolina and looking to buy a house. The market's still like very hot, you know, and yet there are other parts of California where it's really weakened. So it's very tough to make an overall, you know, judgment about the U.S. housing market right now. But for sure, that's plateaued as well. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on on housing it, and where it's going. It's you are correct. Uh, we've gone plateau in some markets. Demand is just absolutely cratering in large part because of the. I think surge in prices that the pandemic brought, but despite the sales plunging, prices even in here, you know, we've been talking a lot about inflation. Prices for homes are still high. They are, and it is keeping a lot of folks out of the market. Uh, just the raw prices for homes, and then you bolt on the fact now you have rates that are significantly higher. A mortgage payment that maybe three years ago was what two thousand dollars a month might be damn near four thousand dollars a month. That is just like. Whoa, I, you cannot even afford to own a home. You have to be able to probably end up having to, to rent or maybe you buy a condo. Uh, and I just think the housing market may, just based on who I've talked to and who just general observations housing, uh, the housing market could continue to stay under pressure this year. And anecdotally, using some of my old school analyst skills, I see it in Home Depot. I see it in Lowe's. The stores feel more full in yeah. terms of inventory. And yeah, supply chains are improving, but to me, that says a consumer that is concerned about their ability to afford a home, ultimately also to invest in the home that they have, given how far prices for things have increased. It's classic. Is it like you know who would have thought you you've got this job where you have to have an intelligent, informed opinion about all these different topics, and just by osmosis. Yeah, you do because you're covering it all the time. You know, like you don't have to be teaching your course you know, on this. I have stuff. no life. You know, I have no life. <laughs> all this knowledge comes, you know, of the downside to it where you do not, in fact, have life. Have life. That's okay. I made that deal. This is the sacrifices one makes, okay, and you know, for fine. your country. Well, I dig it. I can't imagine doing anything else. Right. Fair enough. All right. I have a couple more questions for you and then uh, I will I will certainly let you go. Um, technology. Okay. Um, give me – I'm not even going to – Give me your thoughts on ChatGPT and AI. Are you as I, I, okay? I will preface this. I, I don't know if you ever listened to uh, Lex Friedman's podcast. Um, it's it, it's a fantastic podcast he does, and he's an AI guy, but he interviews all these well known people from Elon Musk to Sam Harris to whatever. And he did like over a, like a two and a half hour conversation with uh, Sam Altman, you know, with his CEO of OpenAI, who makes ChatGPT. It was really great. And my takeaways from this conversation was there's like the Y Combinator guy super smart, nice guy, you know, like really doing his best. He still seemed terrified <laughs> of, of the technology that they were making. I kind of feel like, like the train has left the station when it comes to this stuff. Like, I don't even know how you can even control it at this point, but I am curious about your overall thoughts about, you know, the, the phenomena that is chat GPT and Bard and, you know, the other AI tools that are now upon us, how they will help the world, how they might hurt the world. Well, I think it will, a lot of this AI will drive a lot more productivity and you'll be able to get things done a lot faster. Now, the scary component to that is what does that mean for jobs? 
there are, I think, a couple different camps. You get the camps where saying this will cause a major uh, reskilling or upskilling of the workforce. There's the other camp that says, well, these workers are just going to completely disappear because I can essentially talk to my computer and I get all my work done. I don't have to type anything. Um, but it is going to lead, I really do believe, to a massive productivity boom that will benefit a lot of public companies, not just for those selling the software, but for those companies able to integrate it into their workflows. It will lead to higher returns on assets, equity, investment, you name it. And then perhaps for a lot of companies, as those companies that are investing aggressively in these things, their stock prices will, will outperform. But I will add this cautionary note. I recently went to a conference uh, out in Las Vegas and we're at the conference, probably a couple hundred exhibitors at this conference, Gene, and uh, a lot of companies are, are out there toting artificial intelligence. So I talked to a couple of people at the demo station. So what is artificial intelligence? Don't even know. Don't even know what it was, <laughs> Gene. And, then while, uh, and that was one thing that caught my attention. And then number two, <laughs> older companies, I, I, I'm not going to mention any names, but older companies that I knew did one thing are suddenly seemingly overnight your AI solution. Well, I'm I'm blown away because these companies two months ago used to completely do something else. Now they're they're pitching various AI solutions, which makes me wonder: uh, Were they doing AI before? Are they even doing AI now? So, if, from an investor standpoint, I, I would caution. I'm telling a lot of my my folks here, this in the newsroom, anybody pitching that they are now an AI company, question it 125 times over. They better uh, have clear examples on how they are using AI to power the next generation of anything they are doing. One of the clearest examples that I recently came across uh, of an AI company, it's actually Pinterest. You know, I, I've gotten to know the CEO, Bill Reddy there, a new CEO at that company. You know, I think they're going to use AI to really improve and just help do more positive things in terms of social media. But again, uh, it's just, it, it is in fact, it reminds me of what I saw with the cannabis stocks a couple of years ago, a lot of hype. And maybe at least right now, not a lot of substance. Hey, man, good for them. You know, they're jumping on the trend. They're trying to sell their products. Whatever buzzword works, it's, you know, if they can make a story behind it, then, you know, then fair enough. All right, Brian, we're almost out of time. So let me, uh, let's put our investor hat on now. Again, just all the caveats. You're not a financial advisor, okay? You're not a wealth management guru, all that kind of stuff. You cover this stuff. So if I were to give you $50,000 today, where would you put your money? What industries do you like? What businesses do you like? Ooh, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go contrarian. I would take fifty thousand dollars and invest in yourself. And I hope that doesn't sound really it's a great answer. Really lame, really lame or corny. I, mean, I would actually take that fifty thousand dollars and invest it in taking new courses, get trained, get upskill in, in in AI, learn new technologies, learn new leadership and new management uh, type things. You know, I think there is coming outside of the pandemic. There is a void in understanding how to lead people. And I think if you take that $50,000 or maybe half of it, let's say, go out and get upskilled in technology, go out and get courses in management and leadership. I think these, this, these will add meaningfully to your life. And then I think to your, uh, your own bottom line, looking out over the next 20, 20 years, maybe take a uh, half and do that. Take another half, take half of that. Uh, maybe go out and buy a CD and the rest of that. I don't know. Put it down towards a Corvette. Make me feel bad. I would have said to go and buy a Tesla, but that's just me. <laughs> I'm a car guy. I'm a car guy. <laughs> Brian Sazi is the executive editor at Yahoo Finance. You can find him where? Give us your Twitter handle. Uh, at Brian Sazi. Pretty simple. S-O-Z-Z-I. Folks, thanks very much for watching. Brian, thanks very much for joining me. It was a lot of fun. 
Uh, you guys have been watching and listening to the Paychecks Thrive Podcast. My name is Gene Marks. Thanks again for joining in. If you need any help, or advice, or like to suggest guests for a future episode, please visit us at payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics. Again, thanks. We will see you again very soon. Take care. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychecks Incorporated 2023, all rights reserved.